Thank you for tuning in to Living Life with Purpose, a ministry of Florida Bible Church in Miramar, Florida. At Florida Bible, we believe that life is preparation for eternity and hope this message will be an encouragement and blessing to you. More information about Florida Bible can be found at www.floridabible.org. Thank you for tuning in to Living Life with Purpose, a ministry of Florida Bible Church in Miramar, Florida. At Florida Bible, we believe that life is preparation for eternity and hope this message will be an encouragement and blessing to you. More information about Florida Bible can be found at www.floridabible.org. I hope that is your walk with the Lord, that every day is sweeter than the day before, no matter what your circumstances are, because life isn't about circumstances, it's about relationship. And our chief relationship is Jesus Christ. Well, we've been talking about the pervasive attitude that is in our postmodern culture of, it's no big deal. It's no big deal what value system you embrace. It's no big deal whether you cut corners at work. It's no big deal what kind of lifestyle you live. It's no big deal. Whatever you want to do, you just do whatever's comfortable to you, whatever's real for you. Now, we know that that doesn't work in society, and it certainly doesn't work when it comes to faith. That's another area that this attitude of it's no big deal has crept into. It's no big deal what religion you follow. It's no big deal what you believe. Just pick something, embrace it fully, and it'll make you a better person. And as we all become better people, then we'll live in a better world. Now, we as Christians don't believe that's true. We believe that it is eternally important what you believe. And, and so what we're doing in this series is we are trying now to follow our guideline of Jude 1, 20 through 23 to do two things. Number one, build up our own holy faith. We need to know more about our faith, what we believe, why we believe it, so that we can articulate better to those who God allows us to speak of our faith too. And the second part of our equation, again, is to take our message, to share our story, to reach out to people. The Great Commission, what Jesus said, his last words were ever recorded, are something like, you will be my witnesses. Go and share my story. You be me speaking to people. Bring them to me. Tell them about the cross. Tell them that I died on the cross for their sins. And so that's what we're training to do. Now, sometimes I, I give you messages that are scrambled eggs and, and, and just kind of light on the surface. And sometimes we eat some steak and eggs. And we're in steak and eggs right now. We're going a little bit deeper so that we're better prepared to reach out to people the Lord will allow us to speak to. Now, last week we started talking about reaching out to our Jewish friends. And they are just that. And that's how we need to look at them. You know, living in South Florida here, we live in the third most populated area in the world of Jewish people. And so we are going to have opportunities to, to meet Jewish people, interact with them at work and in our neighborhoods and, and wherever. And God wants us desperately to carry the gospel to them too. He still loves the Jewish people. Even though from a Christian perspective they've rejected who we believe was the Messiah, God's not done with them. He is still going to return his attention to them and he's going to keep his everlasting covenants with them. And so we have an opportunity living in South Florida to reach out to these wonderful men and women. Now, last week, what we did is we took a peek through the window. And that's what it was intended to be, by the way, is a peek through the window. What we talked about last week is for our benefit, our edification. 
So that someday, if and when the Lord allows us to walk through the door of a relationship with a Jewish person, we can speak well because we know where they're coming from. We understand their sensitivities. We understand their belief system. And therefore, we can speak from their perspective as well as our own. Now, Please don't take the things that we talked about last week and think that those are evangelistic tools. Now, I made a mistake in not making that clear, and I at least offended one person I know last week. Obviously, we're not going to take the scripture that we know that God has now transferred, proclaiming the gospel from the Jewish people temporarily to the Gentiles. This is the time of the Gentile. That's not a good bargaining tool when you're trying to reach your Jewish friends. Yeah, you guys really blew it, so God gave it to us. That's not going to come across real good. Nor do we want to say, yeah, look at you guys with the Talmud and everything. You've been trying this for years, trying to live the law. You, how come you guys are so confused? That's not going to win friends and influence enemies. So that, what we covered last week was for us, so that we have a better understanding of where they're coming from and what they're about. Now today, we're going to do the opposite. Today, we're going to begin to learn how to reach out to our Jewish friends. What can we do to have an impact for the glory of the kingdom of God with those Jewish men and women that God will allow us to cross paths with. Now, the first thing, and maybe the most important thing is, is that we have to build genuine friendships. Genuine friendships. A Jewish believer rabbi, Rabbi Neil Sarasky, said this, The best way to witness to a Jew is to show them the love of God. This is a love for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and a love for his people. It has to be genuine love, not just a love for the sake of getting them saved. Now, for we who are anxious and passionate about them coming to faith in who we believe Messiah really was, you know, we don't need to make this some kind of a religious exercise where we've got some kind of a gospel gun on our belt here, and we're putting notches in it for every Jewish person we can win for Jesus Christ. That's not going to work. And it's counterproductive. We need to really genuinely love those people who are Jewish that God allows our cross, our paths to cross. He goes on to say, he says, that love will be expressed to a genuine one-on-one relationship. As the Lord provides opportunities, and he will, you can share about your faith also. Paramount, and please get this. We need to establish genuine friendships that are not designed for any artificial or even spiritual reason. Just love them as people. That's where it all starts. That involves accepting their presets. Now, just like we have presets, those of us who have been raised in the Christian community, those who have been raised in the Jewish community have presets also. Some of those presets include a general distrust for Christians among many of them. See, Christian, the Christian church has often oppressed the Jewish people in their history. And so therefore, in many of them, and probably the more orthodox they are, the, the more pronounced this may be, they have a genuine or a general distrust of Christians. They, they, they don't trust where we're coming from. And we got to understand it, not be offended by that. Also, we, they have this, this confusion, and they cannot come to grips with, they cannot put their minds around how they could ever be Christian and Jewish at the same time. They're mutually exclusive in their minds. That if they would trust that Jesus really was the Messiah and is the Messiah that God had sent to the Jewish people, then they're no longer Jewish. But in reality, what could be more Jewish than embracing the Messiah that God had promised and that God had sent? But in their minds, they are, para- they, they are opposites. They're 180 degree out, and we have to understand that and be sensitive to that. 
They're taught to reject Christian teachings like the Trinity and the deity of Jesus, obviously, and the second coming of Jesus. These are all things that do not come into the conversation, at least initially. They're, they have a great fear of rejection, that if they even consider and open their minds to the possibility that Jesus was the Messiah, then and, it, and act on that, they're going to be rejected by their families and rejected by their community. So these feelings, these presets are very strong. And we, when they come up, and they might respond with them immediately when we try to transition our conversation into a spiritual conversation, we need not to be offended by that. We just need to understand that and prove our friendship by not being offended and reaching out and understanding. Now, another thing we can do is to affirm their Jewish identity. Affirm that, that, that we agree that their Jewish identity is, is a good thing and, and that, that they are God's chosen people. We can do just simple things like send them cards on Jewish holidays, on Hanukkah and Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and, and, and some of the other holidays. Just, just friendly gestures, recognizing, hey, I, I know you're Jewish and this is an important time for you and so I, I want to demonstrate my support for you. We can show concern and interest in current events that impact the Jewish people. What's going on in the world and talk about that and get their feelings on it and get their perspective on it. Uh, we can attend a synagogue service. Uh, there's nothing wrong with us doing that. And, and Gentiles can go into synagogue services. I have been to, to, to several of them. Now, before you would go, make sure that you get with your Jewish friend and get him or her to, to teach you the protocol so that when you go into the service, you don't offend anybody. And also when you go into the service, you don't embarrass them. But these are all ways, and other ways, just doing nice things and having conversation. All things that we can do to build genuine friendships, and without that, we are probably not going to have much impact. Now, we also need to prepare with prayer. Even Jesus said in John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him to me. See, we, even with information that we're going to gain today in, in this series, we have no human power to persuade people in spiritual matters. I, I'm not going to come up and give you a clever argument. Now, we will help with some things that, that have been proven effective in reaching out to people who are Jewish. But this isn't a strategy. It has to be absolutely bathed, soaked in prayer. Because unless the Holy Spirit of God is active in what we're doing, it's not going to have any impact. It's not us, and we need to keep that in mind. Now, that also should be comforting to you in knowing that God doesn't expect you to get a Jewish man or Jewish woman on their knees. That is not your agenda. Your agenda is to be loving as a genuine friend and to share things that they can think about. And then the Holy Spirit has to take those things and give fruit to them and lead them to, to Christ. And so that's how it works. You've got to pray about it. So you have a Jewish friend that comes into mind. The Holy Spirit lays on your, your heart. A Jewish friend, a Jewish co-worker. Start just praying for them. And pray for yourself that you'll be sensitive and that you'll, you'll listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit as he leads you. Also, extremely important, be a credible witness. You know, if we're kind of doing shady deals at work, alongside our other co-workers and, and, and we're kind of using language that is not becoming uh, of someone who would th think to be a Christian or, or we're engaged in lifestyles and activities that, that aren't becoming of the Christian community. We're, we're not going to have any influence. We have to be a credible witness. I mean, they've got to see in us that we really do have a hunger for our Messiah. 
And that our Messiah has made an impact in our life. And that we're just not going through some kind of religious exercise by going to church once a week or whatever. That we are involved and that we are passionate and that, that the presence of God in our life makes a difference. And then they'll be attracted to that. And then when we have the opportunity to speak of the things of God, then they're not going, yeah, oh, right, yeah, you're talking about God. Yeah, yeah, I, I, whether to you or thinking in their own mind, yeah, I'm going to listen to you. See, in everything, in all these faces, these are priorities. Now, also we need to avoid offensive language in reaching out. Not only is it important what we are going to communicate, it is equally important how we are going to communicate to them. There are certain terms that will just switch the switch of acceptance off. They will just close us out. Some of those include like using Christ. Immediately, they're going to switch the switch off because they've been programmed and taught to do that. Instead, use terms like Messiah. And, and we're, not being, we're not being cunning or anything because Messiah, Christ, means Messiah. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. So that's exactly what we're talking about. Uh, Jew. Refer to him as a Jewish man, a Jewish woman, a Jewish people, not just Jew. See, people have used the term Jew derogatorily and disrespectfully towards the Jewish people. All oh, those Jews. Yeah, he's a Jew. That Jew, the Jew. And it can become a very abrasive term to them. Much more accepting emotionally is the respect that you say by saying, I know you're a Jewish man. I know you're a Jewish woman. The Jewish people, and speak of that way. It's much more respectful to them. Convert. Again, you don't want to use the word convert. Yeah, I know a person who was Jewish and they converted to Christianity. Not the thing to say. Because immediately, they're going to think of that person through their presets and say that person's a traitor to our people. Instead, I know a person who's Jewish who became a believer. They're a Jewish believer. Again, they can emotionally enter into a dialogue about that and their automatic switches won't be turned off. Church. Church is a Gentile Christian thing. To the Jewish community, it's a congregation. And even driving around town, you might see on Jewish synagogues, first saying congregation and then the name of the congregation, whatever the Jewish name of the congregation is. So when you're talking about church, talk about my congregation instead of my church or your congregation instead of your church because they don't call it a church. Also, do not ever use the term missionary. I'd like to speak, I'd like you to speak to one of this, this, this great Jewish missionary. I mean, that will immediately close the door because they have been uh, instructed, those at least who, who are involved with, with a synagogue anywhere, to be careful of groups like G's for Jesus and chosen people and all that kind of things. They have been told that those are missionaries, they're, they're kind of like saboteurs, to stay away from them. So don't ever use that term. So avoid offensive language. Talk to them in language that will further communication. Don't make false assumptions. Don't assume that because you're talking to a Jewish man or a Jewish woman that they're very active in their faith. Don't assume that they think Messiah is still going to come. Don't assume that they're even concerned about an afterlife because remember, Judaism is primarily concerned with what? The here and now. About being a good person now. Being, being, doing good things now. Treating people kindly now. They're not really invested in the afterlife. Many of them don't even believe in an afterlife. So don't assume where they're at. Don't assume that they're very entrenched in their faith. Uh, they may not at all be entrenched in their faith. Once you've developed a relationship, 
a genuine relationship, and both of you understand that it is, and you've prayed, and you've presented yourself as a credible Christian witness, and you're sensitive to language and all these things, then what you want to do to begin to transition into the opportunity to speak about spiritual things is ask some probing questions. You know, questions are endearing to people. When you ask questions about them and, and their work and, and their family and, and their leisure uh, time, the things they like to do, their hobbies, those are endearing things. Those open up communication. And so just ask some general questions. Things like, as a Jewish person, do you practice your religion? You know, even the rabbis statistically report that only 15% of the Jewish population is invested in the religion of Judaism. The vast majority of people who have any connection with the synagogue are there for social and cultural reasons, not because of the religious aspects of the Jewish faith. How often do you read the Tanakh, the, the Hebrew Bible? How often do you read your Bible? What place does it play in your life? See, we begin to find out where they're at spiritually in their life. We can ask, what's the most important thing about your Jewish faith to you? And some may say, well, it's, it's the synagogue services. They do so much for me. Or another one might say, you know, I just really love the holidays. Or I just love being associated with this great people. And, we're, you know, and, and whatever. There could be a lot of different responses. But in each response, you learn something more about them that you can be sensitive to. And you can use as a resource. You can ask them, how often do you attend synagogue? Uh, the Jewish population is, is very much like the Christian population. I mean, you talk, you hear me talk all the time here about the ABCD crowd, right? And the D crowd in Christianity is what? It's those Christians who usually come to church only on Easter and Christmas. That's the two times a year they come because they look at them as the high holy days of Christianity. Well, the Jewish community is the same thing. You have many Jewish people who only go to synagogue on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the high Jewish holidays. And so if they say, yeah, yeah, yeah I don't go, I, you know, I go to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, then you have a benchmark. You know, understand that they are not deeply ingrained in, in their faith. They're kind of nominal. They're by association more than anything else Jewish. Uh, what does Passover mean to you? Around Easter time, they're celebrating Passover. Not necessarily on Easter weekend, but around that general time. That's a great time to transition into a conversation. I know you're having Passover now. What does Passover mean to you? Uh, what, what is Passover? How does that impact you? And, and that's a great way to talk about things like blood sacrifice and forgiveness and God's provision for his people. Then, you know, you can talk about uh, what do you believe about Messiah? And remember, depending on whether they're an Orthodox Jewish person or conservative, reformed, or reconstructionist, they believe very different things. Everything from, yes, Messiah is still coming and he's coming from the line of David to there is no Messiah coming, there's no Messianic era coming, there's nothing. And we just need to be good people and we can create a better world if we'll treat each other better. So there's a broad perspective. You can find out where they are at. And there you're going to start understanding how much resistance you may experience. Now, once we've done all this, use every opportunity. Use whatever circumstances come up, whatever places you go. Look for opportunities prayerfully to transition, to segue the conversation into spiritual things about their faith and about their practice of their faith. Now, once you get a relationship established, now we're, we're, we're into the relationship for a while. Now, remember, I'm giving to you this shotgun here this morning. This would never play out all at one time. This is going to play out in episodes, in chapters, in encounters. And so please keep that in mind as we go through this. Now next you want to get lost together. 
what do I mean? Many of the Jewish community, as in fact many people in the Christian community do, feel that they're okay with God merely because of their association with that community. In other words, there's a lot of Christians who grew up in a Christian home and say, yeah, I'm okay because mom and dad were Christians and grandma and grandpa were Christians and they went to church all the time. I don't go to church much, but, but I'm a Christian. I'm okay. No, you're not. Unless you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. In the same way, a lot of Jewish people say because they are the chosen people, they still look at themselves that way, and they, they are, that they're okay with God. Every, everything's okay just by their association. So sometimes we've got to help get them lost so that they understand they have a need for Messiah. And they have a need for what Messiah brings to them. Now, again, what I'm going to do now throughout the remainder of our time together is I'm going to go through a hypothetical kind of relationship. But understand, this would never happen all at one sitting. At least extremely rare that what we're going to talk about would ever happen at one sitting. Also, please do not leave the service today and go back to the resource center, get a CD of what we're talking about, and hand it to a Jewish friend and say, here, you need to listen to this. Now, although we're going to learn some very, very valuable resources and learn how to reach out to them in an impactful way, remember, relationship has to be established, and I don't have a relationship with your Jewish friend. To me, they're just going to be some Protestant Gentile pastor, and and they're going to just tune it out. These are things I want you to contemplate, you to make notes on, you to come back and review later on, so that if the Lord opens an opportunity, and the odds are that you're going to have them because of where we live again, that you'll have at least a starting place. We're going to get lost together. How are we going to do that? We're going to use their Bible. The Tanakh, comprised of the Torah, which is the law, and the Navim, the prophets, and the Ketuvim, the writings. We might, in a hypothetical conversation one day after relationships built, say, you know, I really enjoyed talking to you about your faith, and and I'm just really intrigued with it. And so, you know, I... I'm reading a lot of the Tanakh. I'm trying to, to, to discover more. And so I'm reading the Tanakh. I'm reading your, your Hebrew Bible a lot. And I've really found some really incredible things. And, and can I share some of them with you? And at that point, they might say, no, nah, nah, I'm not really interested. Don't push it. Just walk away. Look for another opportunity. But they might say, really? What have you found? Well, for example, I was reading in the book of Isaiah, the prophet out of the Nevim. The prophet Isaiah, one of your greatest prophets, right? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's one of our big guys, yeah. And he said in 55.3, he said, Give ear and come to me. Hear me, that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful promised love to David. Now, I'm getting the idea that the covenant, that's you guys, right? That's the covenant with the Jewish people? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's our covenant. So he's speaking to the Jewish people, right? Yeah. And he says that your soul may live. Now, this may be a gross exaggeration, but I kind of get the idea that this is important. That our soul may live? And then I was also reading in Isaiah 29, 13. The Lord says, This people draw near me with their mouth and their, with their lips they do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me. And you know, I said, you know, wow, that really stung me. Because I think that's so true of my community. I think that's true of my congregation. I think it's even been true of my life. That, yeah, I, I go and I sing songs and, and I go to church and that, but... You know, if I'm honest, my heart often is far away from God. I'm going through the motions. You think any, any folks in your congregation ever do that? Have you ever done that? And, and the response is going to be what? Yeah, of course. 
Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, There's not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. That's Solomon. The wisest Jewish person or the wisest human being who's ever lived. God gave him extra wisdom. He said, no one's ever got it right. And you know, I'd say, I decided to check myself out on this one and see where I stood up to what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. And so there was no better place to go than, than I should go because what God has revealed about what right and wrong is than the Torah and the Ten Commandments. And so I went to Exodus in, in the Torah and I looked at the Exodus chapter 20 where the Ten Commandments are and I started to see how I stack up and the first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. And, and I looked at that and I started thinking about my life and, and I, I started asking questions. Do I have things in my life that I put before God? Does God really have the focal point of my life? Does God have control of my resources, my time, my attention, my energy? And I got to think, I don't think he always does. I violated this commandment. How about you? Does God always have your attention? And then I looked at the third commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And I got to thinking, have I misused the name of God? Even though I don't go around cussing and stuff like that. How about you? Have you ever missed? No, I would never. Have you ever texted OMG? Huh? There is a, oh my God. That's misusing his name. His name is holy. And then I, I went to the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And I thought, have I always honored my mom and dad? Now let me ask a rhetorical question. What teenager could ever say they always honored their mom and dad? Huh? Which one of us could say that? And I went to the Eighth Commandment. You shall not steal. How about you? Have you, have you ever stolen? Oh, no, no, no. I'm no thief. Yeah, that's what I thought. But then I got to thinking about all those office pens I have all over my house. <laughs> and I, I got to thinking about the tablets of paper with the company logo on them, you know. Or I got to thinking about my taxes last year. How about you? How'd you do? Or how about the ninth commandment? You should not give false testimony against your neighbor. I got to thinking, have I ever passed on a story about somebody and I didn't know whether it was true or not? Have I ever, in jealousy or anger, assassinated the character of somebody else to get even? And all of us would have to conclude, yes. Wow, guilty. One after another. Guilty. Guilty. And then I, thinking about this, I read in Psalm, in the Ketuvim, Psalm 14, 2 through 3, the Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. In other words, I found that God is interested in this. You know, God is not passive in, in how we're living our life. God is not passive in how we're keeping the commandments. God is interested. He's looking down from heaven and he's constantly seeking the face of the earth to see who is serious about him, who is really seeking him, who really has their heart turned towards him. And just like Solomon, the Hebrew psalmist, 
concluded that all have turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good. Not even one. All this in the Hebrew Bible is just overcoming because then in Isaiah 59 two it says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. We're in trouble. What hope can we possibly have if God will not hear us? Ezekiel 18.4 For every living soul belongs to me, the Father as well as the Son. Both alike belong to me. The soul who sins is the one who will die. This sin stuff is serious. Your Jewish Bible is so revealing that God is serious about sin. God is serious about our interaction with Him. God is serious about the values we live by, the decisions we make. God is serious. In fact, says the one who sins is going to die. We've already together concluded that we have violated the commandments and we do it all the time. We're in trouble. I don't think Ezekiel, the prophet, is just talking about physical death. I think he's talking about eternal death. Now at this point, you might just walk away from the conversation, scratching your heads together and say, man, this isn't good. What are we going to do? Or maybe there'll be tenderheartedness and you can go on and get found together. So well, how do I get found together? Same way. So you know, we were having that conversation some time back and we were talking about the fact that we're in trouble and, and, and that we've all violated the commandments and everything and, and, and we're in trouble. Hey, I was reading in the Torah again and I found the answer. And Leviticus chapter 17, 11, For the life of a creature is in the blood and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves at the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. It's the blood. That's how we escape the penalty of our sins. It's the blood. A sacrifice has to be made. And here's something that was really exciting to me. I discovered the same thing in my New Testament. Because it says in my New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, written to the Hebrew people, when Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll on all the people. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in a ceremony. These are all terms that are going to resonate with any Jewish person, especially if they're active at all in their faith. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It's about the blood. This might be a good time to segue and to share with them. By the way, do you know that the vast majority of the New Testament was written by Jewish authors? See, what most Jewish people believe is that the New Testament was written by Christian Gentile authors. And therefore they dismiss it right offhand. That's a Gentile thing. Many of them are absolutely blown away to discover that the vast majority of the New Testament was written by Jewish writers. In fact, all of it was except for one writer and his name was Luke, a Gentile doctor. And 
if you really want to drive it home. The guy, the Jewish author who wrote the vast majority of the New Testament, was not only Jewish, he was a Pharisee. And he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Now they might look at you like you got two heads because they may not be deep enough to know what a Pharisee or the Sanhedrin is. The Pharisee was a class of people who kept the law. They were the pillars in the sight of the Jewish people of Bible days of who kept the law and who were the most spiritual of all the people. And the Sanhedrin was the ruling class of the Jewish religion of Israel. If you were a member of the Sanhedrin, you were in the uppity-ups in the ruling governmental kind of affairs of the nation of Israel, spiritually speaking. Many of them have never heard this. Can I show you another Tanakh passage that really excited me? See, now we're going again. Again, we're giving it an exit point. No, no, I'm still dealing with that. Really? Jewish authors wrote the New Testament? Again, these things are going to happen in bits and pieces. Now, i got to hurry because I, I, I don't want to overcome. But then take them to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is probably one of the most pointed uh, prophecies by a Jewish prophet of who Messiah and the activities of Messiah. And we see that, that, that he describes them as nothing special. And this will kind of resonate with them because they expect Messiah is who? A man, not divinity. And then it goes on to say, though, that, that he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrow. We consider him stricken by God and otherwise cursed by God, forsaken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We're talking about Messiah here. This is your Messiah. This is Isaiah, your prophet. And he concludes, he says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. I think we found our antidote to the penalty of our sins. I think we found our sacrifice. And you know what? My New Testament says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is so exciting to me. Both of our Bibles are in exact coordination with other, even though written hundreds of years apart by Jewish writers. Isaiah 53, I went back there and discovered that it said of the Messiah, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a sheep led to the slaughter, and yet he didn't say anything. And the passage in my Bible popped out the same thing. That when Jesus was brought before the chief priests and arrested, there were all kind of accusations being made against him, but he didn't say anything. Even later, when he, they took him to Pilate, and Pilate was holding the balance of his life or death in his hands, Pilate said to him, don't you understand that I have the power to either have you killed or release you? Listen to these. Don't you hear what they're saying about you? Talk to me. Talk to me. Give me a reason. And yet it says, Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the amazement of the Roman governor. He bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. When I read this in, in your Bible, when I read this in, in my Bible, I was so excited and I had to conclude that the only logical the only real explanation was that the Messiah of your Bible is the Messiah of my Bible. They're one in the same, and he's the antidote for our sins. 
He paid the penalty with his own blood. He's the same guy in both Bibles. Now, again, exit point. I know I'm excited about this. But could I'd love to get your opinion on a couple of the books in my Bible. Would you read Matthew? Matthew was written by a Jewish writer to the Jewish people. I'd just like to see your opinion. Just read it. Yes, maybe, no, maybe. Visit, don't push it. If you reach this point, don't push for a decision. Now one more tool, ultimately, you can use, and I'll close with this, I know we're going a little long, is you can persuade with prophecy. Some scholars say that there are 300 prophecies that are prophesied about Messiah that have either already been filled by Jesus or will be filled one day. Some of them include these, and I put them in your note page. Those of you have note page, so you don't have to hurry try to write them down. Birthplace of the Messiah, so that he would be born in Bethlehem, from the tribe of Judah, of the 12 tribes, which tribe he'd come from, from the house of David, which family from that tribe. He'd be born of a virgin, that he would enter the city of Jerusalem on a donkey, and that he would be betrayed by a friend, that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. It goes on to prophesy what this would happen with the 30 pieces of silver that it would be used for, uh, for the potter. And that's exactly what Judas did. His blood money, he gave it back, and they couldn't use the blood money, so they bought a, a burial ground, a potter field for those who died who couldn't afford funerals. And on and on and on and on and on. Now, here's why this is so per- persuasive. A guy named Peter Stoner wrote a book called Science Speaks. This is just one example. There are other books. And, and he was a scientist. He's not you know, just a, a high school science teacher. He, he was one of these members of one of these highfalutin scientific academies and he worked for NASA and everything well he took these prophecies and did the mathematical calculations of the odds of one person in their lifetime ever being able to fulfill just eight of these detailed prophecies by chance and he said we find that the chance that any man might live down to the present time and fulfill just eight prophecies is one in ten to the seventeenth power What number is that? I don't know. It's a one with 17 zeros after it. Now, Peter Stoner knew that we couldn't get that either, so he brought it down. He said, so that we could understand it, here's what you do. And I've used this illustration before, but it's a great illustration. He says, take this scenario. You are going to cover the entire surface of the state of Texas, one of the largest states in the United States. You're going to cover it with silver dollars, one foot deep all over the surface of the state of Texas. Before you do that, you're going to take one silver dollar, you're going to take a red Sharpie, and you're going to put an X on it. Then you're going to throw it back in the batch, and you're going to mix it all up, and airplanes are going to go up, and they're going to drop, and they're going to cover silver dollars the whole face of the state of Texas. Then you're going to take a man and securely blindfold him so there is no possible way that he can see. You're going to put him in a helicopter and fly him all over the state of Texas, anywhere he wants to go for as long as he wants to go. And at some point when he says land here, you land the helicopter. Then you take him out of the helicopter and you allow him to walk over the state of Texas as long as he wants, as many days, as many weeks, as many months as he wants. But at some point, at some time, at his inclination, he needs to bend down and pick up one silver dollar. 
He can dig down through the pile. He can take it up top. He can do whatever he wants. He's got to pick up one silver dollar. Well, the odds that he will pick up the silver dollar with the red X on it represent 1 to 10 to the 17th power. That's just eight prophecies. And my friends, Jesus fulfilled many more. I ended with this question last week. I said, how do we know they're not right? How do we know their chief priest didn't get it right? Because of the evidence that we looked at today. The harmony over hundreds and hundreds of years of the Hebrew Bible with the New Testament. The prophecies of Jesus. It can't be coincidence. It has the signature of God all over it. We need to share it. We aren't a bunch of dumb lambs believing in Jesus Christ through blind faith. God has given us overwhelming evidence that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah that he promised to the people of Israel. And God still wants them to recognize it. In the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 19, the Bible says, Paul this Hebrew writer, a member of the Pharisees, member of the Sanhedrin, says this. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Now listen to what he says. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. God sent the Jewish people the Messiah he had promised. And his offer of salvation, his offer of forgiveness, all those sacrifices that were done in the temple were symbols looking forward to the coming of Messiah who would die for the sins of the entire nation once for all. And God sent him to his beloved chosen people, Israel. In the darkness of their religious leadership, they rejected him. But God still loves them. And God's passion is still for them to spend eternity with Him. To rule with Christ, Messiah, when He establishes His earthly kingdom. And God will fulfill all His promised covenants with His chosen people. Now we have the opportunity and the privilege to love them. To show them God's love through our love for them. And our passion for them our sensitivity to them. The question is not, will a Jewish person ever recognize that Jesus is the Messiah? It's happening all the time. The question is, will we care about them enough to share it? Let's bow our heads. Right now, if you're a believer... You've trusted Christ as Messiah. Ask Him to lay somebody on your heart. Express your willingness to be His vessel, to His instrument. If you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you may still be trying to be a good enough person to get your way into heaven one day, well, I've got to be honest with you. That's not going to work. The 
Bible says in the book of Revelation, he will not allow any impure thing to enter his kingdom. And because you, like me, have violated God's law numerous times, we can never claim to be pure again. We are all impure. And therefore, we cannot enter God's kingdom on our own. We need help. And that's why God sent Messiah. He sent Messiah to pay our sin debt for us. And you can receive him today. While no one's looking around, just so I know whether the need is here. You're here today and right now God is pinging on your heart. He's pinging on the door of your conscience and you know that you need this relationship. You know that you've never received God's gift of eternal forgiveness. And right now he's bearing witness with your conscience. Right now, while no one's looking around, just so I know, and I can pray for you, anonymously, I won't embarrass you. Would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor Pete, I don't know. I've never trusted Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as my Savior. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. Anyone else? I've never trusted Christ. As we wait just a moment. For those of you who raised your hand, God loves you. He has a passion to give you forgiveness. And that's exactly what he's offering you right now, to give it to you. All you need to do, receive it, is to confess to him that you realize you're a sinner and that you need his forgiveness. And then you need to transfer your confidence off of yourself onto what Jesus has already done for every one of us on the cross. You might just pray to him right now, something like this. God, I, I want your forgiveness. I need your forgiveness. And I get it now, God. That's why you sent Messiah. You sent Messiah to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. You sent him to pay the penalty for our sins so that we're not under that penalty eternally anymore. And so God, as best as I understand it, today I'm asking Jesus, the Messiah, to be my Savior. God, I believe he's your son, that he died on the cross, was buried, and on the third day rose again. And I believe, God, that only he has the authority to forgive sin. So Jesus, I ask you to forgive my sin today. Jesus, be my Savior today. Today, I believe on the name of the Son of God for eternal life. The Bible says to any man or woman who will humble himself or herself in that way and ask for that gift, that God will give that gift. John 1.12 says, Yet to as many received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Father, I just pray that you will anoint us now with your passion for all people. God, help us to use the things that we've learned today as resources to reach out to the lost. We know we don't have the power to persuade, but God, your, your spirit working in the hearts of people can do miracles. Make us willing to be that vessel in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. Here at Florida Bible Church, we believe the first and most important step in life's journey is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So the question is, how about you? If you haven't started this relationship, you can use this model prayer. Jesus, I do want to begin a relationship with you. I know that I have sinned against you and cannot save myself. So right now, I ask for your forgiveness of all my sins and I accept you as my personal Savior, believing that you die on the cross and pay for all my sins. Forgive me now, and please give to me your precious gift of eternal life. Amen. You can find this prayer along with more detailed information on our website 
at www.floridabible.org. Just click the Beginning a Relationship with Jesus button. There you will also learn more about us and find the next steps for a Christ follower. Thanks again for listening to Living Life with Purpose.